Hey, what's going on? Welcome to the Raptors Resolist Podcast. I'm your host, Blake Murphy. Joining me on the line, as always, Playoff E, Eric Kareen. Eric, what's up, man? <laughs> hey, I uh, love it. I love it. Um, playoffs, it's exciting. Let's go. Uh, I'm, it's- I was already over these seeding games, even though they started two weeks ago. Really? I thought they were so much fun. No, they, Maybe, I, I'm, yeah. I'm, they, they were mostly fun. Even the games that didn't matter ended up being fun for the Raptors. Um, but playoffs are the playoffs. They're fun. They're good. Let me tell you, I don't know that we need the uh, play-in style stuff uh, on merit in a normal season, but on entertainment value, holy. The Brooklyn Nets and the Portland Trailblazers on Thursday night, and we're going to talk about those Brooklyn Nets. That's uh, if not the game of the bubble, like top three for sure. That was entertaining. Uh, AF. Yeah, I'd put it in the teens behind every TJ Warren performance and every <laughs> Phoenix Suns game, but that's just me. Yeah. Uh, shout out to Hooters and the Phoenix Suns. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's a deep cut. Sorry, everyone. Um, anyway, uh, we're going to talk about those Brooklyn Nets today. We're going to talk about your Toronto Raptors. The Raptors finished out. Their reseeding schedule on Friday with a, I guess, Raptors 905 adjacent victory over the Denver Nuggets that improved the Raptors to 7 and 1 in the bubble, 53 and 19 overall. That is the best win percentage in franchise history. It is good for second in the NBA. And if you're looking for a season wrap up, you can go to theathletic.com slash Toronto and find the season end player grades that Eric and I gave to every player as well as Nick Nurse and Masai Ujiri. Uh, if you are not already a subscriber to the tech side of this site, you can go to theathletic.com slash we the six. That's the number six for 40% off. Or click any of our articles right now for a free seven-day trial. Uh, what better time than right before the playoffs? You can get things like uh, my back and forth with our Nets reporter, Alex Schiffer, uh, our season-end Raptor report cards, uh, my deep dive kind of analytic matchup-based series preview. There's a lot of good stuff there. And, uh, you know, we have a couple of weeks, hopefully a couple of months ahead. Uh, Eric, final takes from the Raptors in the reseed game. 7-1. and one. Pretty good. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, I, I half-heartedly joked about this after, I don't know, one of their wins and sort of wrote that, like, coming into the bubble, they were... They had this impossible schedule and, you know, fans and and myself were like, oh, if they can find a way to go three and five or four and four, it'll be a miracle. And then <laughs> they go seven and one. It's like, I'm really concerned with how they're playing <laughs> somewhat legitimately. And I think a lot of that comes down to Pascal Siakam, who obviously didn't have the greatest time in the bubble. And, you know, he's essentially the biggest piece about the unknown factor of the Raptors, I would say, heading into the playoffs. And without him uh, firing on all cylinders, that sort of tempers any, you know, full bore excitement that I might have about how things were going, not necessarily into the the first round, but certainly the second round if he doesn't get it going by then. Uh, and if they're lucky enough to, uh, you know, make it to the second round. But overall, I, I thought it was a good performance. You saw strong performances from most of the players. Maybe, you know, Siakam and, and Serge Ibaka didn't have those moments. But the rest of the regulars were, you know, good to very good at, at different times. And then the last few games allowed us to see 
Chris Boucher certainly have a, have a few really big games. They, they allowed you to see Matt Thomas, uh, who I have no doubt if, if there's a situation for him could pop into those minutes. Uh, Terrence Davis got it going a little bit in the last game against Denver. Uh, Come on, man. You're burying the name here. I, I can't. I can't tell if you're inviting me to cut you off or you're um, trolling me or well, what. I, I don't know. I like I, Paul Watson Jr. might, uh, who knows what his future is. Can like the Raptors even keep teams away from poaching him somehow? Well, he's got another year on his two. Yeah, uh, I knew that. Uh, but like maybe some team's going to overwhelm them with a, can two way players be traded? Yep. Uh, so maybe some team will overwhelm him, uh, the Raptors with a trade offer for him now. There you go. Uh, We're not going to talk a ton about Paul Watson today. We are going to talk about some of those other names as we preview the Raptors against the Nets in the first round. Uh, As a reminder, before we get to that, the three police officers who killed Breonna Taylor remain free. Uh, We've tweeted out links throughout the reseeding games for more information and more ways to get involved uh, locally if you're a Toronto person, as well as just in general, um, as it relates to uh, the messages that players and the teams are sending out in terms of Black Lives Matter, um, how to center LGBTQ voices in those conversations, um, resources for, uh, you know, the indigenous side of things here in Canada, um, because this isn't just anti-black racism we're talking about here in Canada. Uh, So please continue to engage with those messages, uh, engage with the links we're tweeting out, things like that. Now, the Toronto Raptors against the Brooklyn Nets. uh, We can speak to the Raptors side of things, Eric, but we need a little help on the Nets side. So we're tagging in our Nets beat writer from the Athletic New York, Alex Schiffer, who you can follow at Alex underscore Schiffer. Alex, what's up, man? What's going on, guys? Thanks for having me. Sorry for making you sit through four or five minutes of Eric and I just uh, bantering a little bit. I, I grew up in New York traffic. It's okay. This I've dealt with worse. <laughs> it's uh, What is the opposite of coffee? Because I'd imagine that's what they had, uh, this morning recording, having to listen to Eric and I for five minutes first, is uh, Maybe probably like the opposite. melatonin? Yeah, sleeping pill? Yeah. There you go. <laughs> we are, you know, we are yeah, we're the clonazepad of... Uh, of morning talk yeah but somehow more anxiety inducing (laughs) that's just us (laughs) yeah because we're going to talk about all the ways the raptors could squander their first round matchup with the nets um for background the raptors are heavy heavy favorites in this one uh the nets obviously finished just a little below 500 even though they were one of the more fun bubble teams Uh, Based on the Vegas series prices, the Raptors have never been this big of a favorite before. They are a bigger favorite in this series even than they were against the Magic in the first round last year uh, with an implied probability based on the series prices that came out of about 97%. Uh, So if you like that 3% for the Nets, you... uh you stand to make some money on betting against the Raptors. Historically, the money has been betting on the Raptors. This was the ninth straight season, I believe. They beat their win total over-under, um, assuming that... Uh, well, no, not even assuming. They beat... Even, even without accounting for the last 10 games, they beat their win total over-under. Um, but yeah, uh, bet carefully, because uh, this first-round series tilts in the Raptors' favor. The Raptors' uh, over-under for the bubble was four and a half, by the way. So they, cl- they cleared beat that. that, too. Yeah. Um, as I mentioned earlier, uh, we have already started rolling out preview content. Uh, Alex and I did a back and forth that came out Friday, kind of talking about some of the key matchups and key X factors for this series. Uh, I had my deep dive kind of analytics and matchups series preview come out Saturday. Um, I have a, a mailbag coming out Sunday. Eric, I believe you're going to do a best case, worst case, likeliest case kind of, uh, yes. thing. Thing. Yes. That's what we're calling it. A thing. Yeah. Uh, Alex, what do you got coming down the pipeline for us, man? 
Yeah, I got a uh, I got a playoff preview coming Monday, um, and then we go right into game one. So we'll have some stuff on that, and um, some other non conventional features coming. You know, the the Nets PA announcer Olivier Sendra is in the bubble along with some other of the Nets other broadcast operations. So kind of getting their perspective on how their jobs have changed in the uh, Disney bubble as another thing kind of coming down the pipe. Sweet. That sounds really interesting. That's, uh, you know, I think the the Raptors are piping in a lot of crowd noise. They, they've got the everybody clap your hands oh my God. Uh, at timeouts piped in. But um, d- d- poor Doug Smith can't avoid the everybody clap your hands, Eric. Yeah, um, it's brutal. I, I think there's a name for that song. And I think like in the Howard Beck, uh, Rachel Nichols, Zach Lowe podcast where they pretend to run the NBA, it's been one of Howard's uh requests is that that song is just banned uh from all arenas but it's never going to happen it's omnipresent and uh it will outlive us all yeah i believe the song is the cha-cha slot yeah. <laughs> yeah correct yeah um come on eric you're a you're a journalist <laughs> and, and one who fo- focuses disproportionately on game operations so i should know that yes um, by the way, uh, in terms of home court advantage, obviously the Raptors are uh, the home team here. We saw early in the bubble that home teams were winning uh, at a higher rate than uh, they were in the regular season. That seems to have uh, faded, and it was, uh, you know, mostly a, a small sample thing. Um, you know, they tried to do some things like the the crowd noise and the game ops and the digital fans and things like that. Uh, to make home court advantage more meaningful, um, you know, generally there's like a three and a half to four point advantage to being the home team. Um, at one point, home teams were winning 59% of the games at bubbles, but I think that normalized to 54%. Uh, I have to double check the numbers for the last uh, the last couple days. Um, but if you're looking at something like the Raptors having home court advantage against uh, the Lakers in the finals, um, we don't know how meaningful that'll be yet. Uh, probably not a factor in a Raptors net series other than the lack of travel. Uh, if you didn't see the schedule, by the way, this series starts Monday at four. They'll play every second day, including 1.30 on Wednesday Let's and go, baby. on Friday. Uh, Alex, from the Raptors side, these afternoon starts have always been a gripe of the fan base because they signaled... Um, you know, disrespect and the fact that Canadian ratings don't count toward US TV markets. I actually think in this case, it is a sign of respect because this is expected to be one of the two or three least competitive series. Um, What do you feel? What was your reaction to getting three straight afternoon games out of the gate here for the Nets? Well, well, my reaction was was great because as a a reporter, as you guys are kind of hinting, you know, we'll be We'll be all wrapped up. It's not a late night. Can go to bed at a reasonable hour and uh, maybe even sleep in a little bit the next day to get ready for the next gamer availability. Um, I haven't heard too much fan gripes on it, honestly. So I uh, I don't I don't want to speak for all of them, but it, it I haven't had much of an inbox or my mentions haven't been that bad on that front. But but I for one was very happy. Alex, yeah. Eric, ma- Eric made the mistake of tweeting facetiously about it. Yeah, so, yeah, uh, you know, he's he's being hoisted by his own petard of late. Oh, uh, yes. In terms of the schedule. My my cursed petard. Um, Alex, who plays for the Brooklyn Nets? <laughs> um, let me get my notepad just so I don't screw this up. Um, yeah. Um, Karis LeVert, Joe Harris, Jared Allen, um, uh, Garrett Temple. Um 
Dante Hall is a recent addition. Lance Thomas is a recent addition. <laughs> um, it, it's like a contest of like you have to remind yourself who's not there and uh, and who came in. And you know, like I um, obviously we, we do a good job at oral histories on the athletic. I was thinking about an oral history of Michael Beasley's career as a net, which consisted <laughs> of like twenty four to forty eight hours in a Orlando hotel room before his positive test came back and he had to leave the bubble. So. It's uh, it's been a whirlwind. I mean, they they have seven guys counting Wilson Chandler who opted out, not with them in the bubble, and then uh, you know, even their replacement players. It's obviously been a been a interesting run for some of them, including Jamal Crawford, who played six minutes against Milwaukee before straining his left hamstring. So it, it's mainly been Karis LeVert, Joe Harris, and Jared Allen, and and they've gotten a lot of good play from their role players as well during yeah. all this. Yeah, I was gonna. I mean, my follow up to that somewhat sarcastic question was like they've played well uh especially offensively they they've looked really crisp uh tlc timote uh okay we'll just call him tlc uh and former net once again net tyler johnson are, are shooting the lights out kind of so how how have they done this how have they you know it's not like they were playing a bunch of teams who had nothing to play for especially as we saw in the portland game who i don't think could guard the three of us plus two others. Um, but notwithstanding, this was a really competitive and sometimes, you know, pretty damn good team. So, you know, if you had to condense it into a few explanations, how did that happen in the bubble? Yeah, so what what I think that Jacques Vaughn, the Nets interim coach, isn't getting enough credit for is that this was not how he wanted them to play in the bubble offensively. Uh, he spent a lot of the pandemic or the, the NBA's hiatus during it, I should say, Re, you know, reconstructing their offense and, and making different tweaks to it only for DeAndre Jordan, Spencer Dinwiddie, and Torian Prince, three of their most notable guys that were healthy at the time the league got suspended uh, to catch coronavirus and, and have to withdraw from from the restart. And so his plan B was essentially catering the offense to each guy's specific skill set and niche and, and it's worked really, really well for them. So their plan B has turned out to, to be a pretty good plan B in that Tyler Johnson, who who traditionally doesn't really fit the Nets offense and emphasizes threes and layups, you know, his best shooting came in the mid-range. And he, he started out early, out, uh, early on as a net doing that, and now he's become a very good three-point shooter. So they, they've kind of made it work to, to kind of play to the guy's strengths there's not really a, a, a tailored system or anything. You know, Tyler Johnson essentially explained the offense that they're trying to get the defense to react in a certain way that allows one of their guys on the court to, to do what they do best, whether it's creating space for Joe Harris to shoot a three or, or drive to the basket, uh, putting Karis LeVert in one-on-one to, to get into his bag, as, as he'll say, and, and try and make something off of that, whether it's create for others or, or get to the basket. Or, or you know, He's another one that's been good in the mid-range. So, so really offensively, they've they've gotten a lot of good play from their role guys. As you said, you know, Tyler Johnson and, and TLC. TLC, I think, is the, is the guy that's had the best bubble stint that no one's really talking about. You know, averaging about 14 points a game on, on 40% shooting uh, from three and, and about 43-44 from the field overall. I they, They've just gotten a lot of strong play from everybody. And that, you know, Jamal Crawford was their biggest, to me, uh, biggest addition – when they signed him as a replacement player, and, and he's only at six minutes, but there's an expectation we'll see him at some point in this series. So, all in all, I mean, they, they've done a lot better than, than anyone was expecting, myself included. 
Yeah, it's uh, it's been fun to watch. You know, I, I'm a, I'm a big Karis LeVert fan. I like the funk in his game. Um, you know, 21 field goal attempts a game maybe isn't what they're going to be looking for from him in future years. But for him to be able to take this kind of role and put up 25 a game, you know, not crazy efficiently, but not terribly, and, and also the five rebounds and seven assists per game, uh, I think, you know, obviously from a development standpoint, it's going to be huge for him. Um, you know, their, their offensive rating, too, in the bubble was 120 when Jared Allen and Joe Harris were on the floor. So some some defensive issues at times for the Nets, but they can really fill it up. And Joe Harris isn't going to shoot 54% on over six threes a game all the time. But Joe Harris could shoot 54% on six threes a game over a series. That's not out of the realm of possibility. Uh, we've seen how the Raptors handled guys like Joe Harris in the past. And not to not to group all white shooters uh, the same, but last year, last year against the 76ers, um, how they handled Joel Embiid and J.J. Redick in dribble handoff scenarios was a huge part of that series. And the 76ers had by far the best handoff offense last year, and a lot of that was Redick Embiid actions. Uh, we saw recently in the reseed game against Miami, where Miami runs similar stuff with Duncan Robinson and Bam Adebayo, um, that the Raptors did a pretty good job on that. It was one of Duncan Robinson's lowest usage games games kind of since you know everyone realized that Duncan Robinson could get eight to ten threes up a game um, I would imagine that Joe Harris is going to be probably focal point number two for the Raptors on defense I think number one will be Karis Levert and making sure he's you know uncomfortable against a number of different defenders and that there are extra hands in his driving lanes the Raptors do help off the corner shooters really aggressively I know the Nets shot 36.2 percent in the bubble and that they were a high 35s team for the year that's not bad and they will take it um, you know they're the fifth highest three-point volume in the NBA this year but I think given that TLC still has a fairly limited sample as a shooter that Garrett Temple will shoot them but is probably an average shooter at best um, that guys like Musa and Chioza and Curix, um aren't you know, deadly shooters. I think you're going to see a lot of help like that coming to Levert's driving lanes. And then any any of those perimeter Joe Harris actions, you know, luckily for Harris and the Nets, Harris is dynamic enough to, like you said, Alex, uh, you know, t- turn those into drives to the rim. It's not, you know, it's not just a dribble handoff to get a three or it's not just coming off a pin down uh, to get a quick jumper. He, he is more dynamic than that. Um, but I think that those will be the two focal points uh, for the Raptors defense. Eric, I'm curious um, for your take. How do you think the Raptors line up initially defensively, specifically with the like who gets the Lavert assignment? Because OG Ananobi has guarded the number one usage option on the, the opposing team more than any other Raptor. Uh, but I could also see them wanting OG in some of those Harris actions or or trusting a Fred Van Vliet or a Kyle Lowry on Karis Levert to start. How do you think that one shakes out? Um, I think, I mean, obviously they'll be comfortable either way would be my guess. But I, I think I would err toward OG starting on Levert just because you make the first thing the first thing. And... Uh, if that's your biggest concern, Levert got going off, which it should be because he's the most dynamic player, uh, certainly one-on-one player on that team, I think you got to start, not necessarily start in terms of, you know, the first minute of the first game, but in terms of the bulk of the minutes in the first game, I think that's the direction you go. And, like, we, we've seen over, like, I just remember Kyle Lowry on Brad Beal two playoffs ago, uh, or I guess now three playoffs ago, and Fred Van Vliet, even when he couldn't hit a shot, was like pestering the hell out of J.J. Redick last year. Uh, and again, not 
to uh, to make all shooters the same. Uh, you know, Bradley Beal's obviously a class above all the <laughs> the uh, Harris and uh, JJ Redick in terms of o- overall game, but you know they're used to playing those sort of player types or those guys who have those roles within within that team. Uh, Lowry and Van Vliet are so. If I had to bet, I think that's sort of how they'll, and you know, Lowry, when you're a smaller player, you're, you're just so much better able to navigate the off ball screens and, and sort of sneak under them and, and stay attached to your man. So I think that's the way they're best suited to start. Uh, Nick Nurse has fooled me before, but, um, <laughs> I, I sort of would lean that way. How about you? Before we get back to the show, let's take a minute to hear about Indochino. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you there. And I want to direct a question to, to Alex from there in terms of uh, what Jared Allen looks like in this series. And Jared Allen played, by, by the way, for background, uh, the Raptors and Nets played four times this season. The Raptors went three and one in those games. They had a really good lockdown defensive performance, uh, a blowout win, a pretty weird and incredible one to keep that 15-game winning streak alive at 14. And then the Nets beat them uh, when the offense just abandoned them toward the end of that 15-game streak. Uh, during those four games, Jared Allen only averaged 22 minutes because DeAndre Jordan was around. Uh, he did shoot well, but he didn't shoot much. He averaged under seven points uh, in those games he was a rebounding presence, but not a big shot blocking presence. Uh, the Nets, you know, the, the Nets net ratings are across that weren't really favorable for anyone other than Joe Harris. Uh, but obviously, Allen has taken on a, a different and bigger role with DeAndre Jordan not here in the bubble. Uh, Allen is averaging almost 16 points a game. He's shooting 67%. Uh, you know, a lot of that's around the rim, lobs, offensive rebounds, that kind of stuff. Uh, but he's become a big factor. And maybe the most important development for him is he's also averaging over four assists a game with under one turnover a game in the bubble. Uh, that, that to me, suggests a lot of growth in terms of how he's processing the game offensively. Uh, I'm wondering, Alex, how much have you seen Allen come along in these six games he's played in Orlando? And how... How different a matchup challenge is he now versus when the Raptors and Nets got these games in in uh, December, January, February? No, you you hit the nail on the head. I mean, he's he's become a, a different animal down there, especially as, as you pointed out the passing. I mean, during that stretch where the the Nets played the Raptors, as you said, from January to, to February, Jared Allen was was that that's the time where DeAndre Jordan really overtook him in the rotation, not just. With uh, the starting, in the not uh, let me rephrase, uh, not just be getting in the starting lineup in March after Kenny Atkinson left, but just if you looked even in the, the crucial stretches of games at that point, I had a story at that point uh, around that time. DeAndre Jordan was the one in crunch time in the fourth quarter. Jared Allen was barely playing in the fourth quarter of those games, and what I don't think has been said enough about his performance is that he is the Nets' only big man down there, essentially with DeAndre Jordan out of the restart. Dante Hall, the backup center, was someone they signed for depth purposes, but he was in the G League for the Pistons this year. You know, he he had no ties to the roster or anything like that when they brought him along. So for Jared Allen to be the team's only big man, arguably most important player because of it, and he's had no games with foul trouble, and, and he's done a really good job of passing out of the post, especially when he's double teamed. You know, Jamal Crawford, even though he's barely played, he's been a very good coach for the Nets. Um, he's had the team focus on certain areas where uh, the floor opens up when defenses start to blitz Levert. 
and that's done a lot for Tyler Johnson. And and Crawford's taken Allen under his wing and had him look for spots on the court where the floor opens up when the defense starts to collapse on him as well underneath. So he's been a phenomenal offensive rebounder too. You guys were talking about the Portland game. In the second half, he had two or three possessions where they had four opportunities on on one possession because he just kept getting the offensive rebound for them. So he's he's been a very, very impressive piece for them down there. And as you said, he's shooting at a high level. He's rebounding out of his area a lot and out of his comfort zone. And um, – I'm not trying to turn this into a Nets podcast, but I think what's going to be very interesting is, you know, he's eligible for a rookie extension this summer. And obviously, you know, based on uh, what, what Shams and I reported when Kenny Atkinson got fired, the, the, the DeAndre Jordan starting point is uh, is a big one, it seems like, for the, the K-Ree, Kyrie DeAndre regime. So I, I think how this all unfolds, given how well he's played in the bubble, is going to be very fascinating to watch, even from a bit of a league-wide perspective, in case there's a market for him. Yeah, I, I, Jared Allen of the Raptors to re, to replace whichever of Marc Gasol or Serge Ibaka leaves in free agency. Yeah, I, heard it here. First. I've always been a fan, and and like obviously the way the Nets. Yeah, but you like you like every player with that. Like you were big on Colby White. Nene was your uh, was your avatar forever. You you just want someone to replace uh, Nene as your avatar. Uh, yes, that's true. Um, and Bebe, don't forget. Yes. Don't forget Bebe. Uh, but, and you know, I think, you know, he just the way he protects the rim and sort of fearless uh, in terms of doing that and his energy, like he, it seemed, I remember the play sets you were talking about in the Brooklyn, in the Portland game where he was keeping the ball alive. And a lot of that was just the old uh, Tyson Chandler bat backs, um, <laughs> keeping the ball alive for his teammates. Uh, he's a very useful piece, and the offseason went really well for the Nets, but not, you know, for everyone except for Jared Allen, it seemed like. So uh, whether it's in Brooklyn or elsewhere, I think that guy's a player, and, and hopefully he can find a spot uh, to thrive in the league. Cause I, I think you know he, I think he has the skill set, certainly, to, to hang around in the league for a long time. And more, more to the point of this series, based on Alex, what Alex filled us in on there, you know, that's two important developments that are helpful against the Raptors. Being one, being the offensive rebounding, because the Raptors are a below-average defensive rebounding team, uh, in part because their priority is so often uh, forcing turnovers and contesting shots aggressively. Um, they're, I think, number two in the league to to Milwaukee in terms of total. Uh, shot contests per game. They're, they're number two in turnovers force. They're number one in deflections. So um, that does some, and they're number three in zone zone defense usage uh, or number two rather. Yeah. Uh, so that does leave the defensive glass open sometimes. So Allen might be able to have some luck there, uh, but the passing out of the post is maybe the biggest one. Marcus all is one of the very best post defenders in the NBA. So the Raptors can leave him down there uh, alone in order to um, stop you know, stop, stop a big man if he gets going down there and also to force turnovers on his own with these kind of, you know, meat hooks of hands. But the Raptors do like to send a lot of doubles at the post. Fred Van Vliet is an expert at digging down to, to try to come up with turnovers. They'll send a guy out of the corner. Um, they'll, they'll do a base go for it and zone up the weak side if, um, you know, if a post-up player gets going and is getting middle, so, um, or getting baseline rather. So Allen being able to pass out of those situations capably is, is huge. And I think... You know, I I remember when Jamal Crawford rumors were kicking around kind of in buyout season, some Raptors fans, you know, he's a name that comes up because he's a name everyone likes. Um, And he's he obviously his last game before this year was a 50 piece. Um, 
And, you know, Crawford hasn't scored efficiently in, like, five seasons. So if you're a team like the Raptors that already has veteran leadership and it's not clear where he has a, a role in your bench unit, you know, is it worth it to to take a developmental spot away? Well, if you're the Nets and you need that veteran leadership because most of your veteran leaders other than Garrett Temple are sitting at home right now and you need a guy who could get a bucket, I like the Crawford signing for them. Um, you know, unclear what the status of that hamstring is and how much he might be able to play in this series. But I guess, Alex, what flows naturally from that is Jamal Crawford for player coach in 2020-2021 if Jacques Vaughn doesn't, doesn't lock this down? He's currently not on the Vegas hot board for, uh, in terms of odds to land the job, but I, I, I personally, I will bet both of you guys a, uh, a meal at Cactus Club next time I'm up in Toronto <laughs> that he's on the roster next season. Um, he's barely played, as, as we've touched on, but the, the whole organization loves him. And obviously, he played with DeAndre Jordan in Los Angeles. He is good friends with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, both of which I believe have visited his Pro-Am League over the summers in Seattle. Um, and I, he, I think that he's he's just happy to have a job to where if it meant him being the 13th, 14th, 15th man, um, it would it would be fine for him. But, you know, it assuming he plays at some point and is healthy and, and looks like, you know, the Jamal Crawford we last on, even in the, the six minutes he played against Milwaukee, he looked good. I'm really curious to see what he can do for them just because I don't I wouldn't define him as a series changing player by any means, but he's such an effortless playmaker in an offense that's kind of built on, you know, getting the defense to react one way or another and, and set the other guys up. It it really just does fit his game naturally. And as Eric kind of pointed out, this has been an Nets offense that has done really well despite being on its plan B and without some of its best scorers. And I just kinda of wonder if if he can I don't want to say take them up to another level, but take them up a notch or add something that's been that that they didn't have on that front. Just based on him being an experienced guy, you know, he's been in the playoffs more than probably he's probably got more playoff games under him than, than most guys that are going to be in the postseason this year. And uh, and I he he's someone I'm really fascinated just whenever he gets in, assuming he looks decent, what what that can do for them, if anything. Well, well he has ruined great Raptors moments before. <laughs> Having uh, scored, I believe he scored 37 in the Terrence Ross 51-point game that the Clippers actually won because he was so good. Um, and I have no doubt that there will be like a six-minute Jamal Crawford stretch at some point during this series. Like I would, I would bet lots of money about that. But uh, Crawford is obviously a bit of a liability on the other end, and, and that sort of. Uh, segues to something I wanted to ask you about. The Nets uh, were just ahead of the Raptors in zone play during the season uh, in terms of percentage of possessions played, at least. Uh, and the Raptors stunk against the zone. It was part of the reason <laughs> they lost uh, in that Brooklyn game that snapped their 15-game winning streak. It was part of the reason... It was a big part of the reason they lost to Miami just after uh, New Year's in their worst offensive performance of the year. Uh, six of 42 baby yeah never forget it I, i'm getting it tattooed on you know some part of my body um don't don't say something like that because it was on yeah. this podcast last year <laughs> that i said i would get a tattoo of one of my moose drawings if the raptors won a championship yeah, but so don't yeah. if you put it out there that you're getting six of 42 i'm gonna hold you to it if they uh, okay me. i'm not but there at least was the precedent <laughs> of you having many tattoos uh before you got that tattoo i have no yes. tattoos so i, I think there's I have more credible 
deniability here. Um, but my question essentially is, given this roster and how new a lot of it is, uh, has have the Nets been able to play a lot of zone in the bubble? And do you expect to see that a big part of their uh, of their not attack their defense against the Raptors uh, in this series? I've I've expected to I, I they've played to, to I guess answer the first question they they've they've brought it out some for sure but they uh, th- this team doesn't have and and this will be a thing going in the next season too they don't really have an elite defender on their team a, a lockdown guy they have you know Karis LeVert's been a good defender Rodion's Kurek's actually statistically their best defender he's got their best defensive rating on the team they lost David Nwobi in December to an Achilles injury in San Antonio he was their best defender. And was playing phenomenally at the time he got hurt. They they really miss him. Um, so they've kind of you know if you watch them against the Blazers, they were they they were very ambitious. I thought with their defensive scheme of you know they they were double teaming Damian Lillard, then they were trying to double team Damian Lillard and Carmelo Anthony whenever they had the ball in their hands when they were on the court together. So I, I think they're going to throw a little bit of everything at at Toronto to see whatever whatever works. I, I think they'll go some zone. But I don't think it's going to be their their bread and butter in this series by any means. Jacques Vaughn's tried to get very creative, and and he knows obviously that this team is lacking uh, perimeter defenders and just elite defenders in general. And I I think that the Nets' defense is at their best when when some of their better guys like Lavert and Curix are are one on one with guys in space. Both of them are pretty good pickpockets, and um, that's usually when they're at their best in terms of forcing turnovers or. or getting in guys' faces of, of having one of their two best guys usually have a guy to himself in isolation. So I I think that we'll see some zone, but I don't think I don't think it's gonna be the only thing they break out by far. Their treatment yeah. their treatment of Lillard in the second half sort of reminded me how the Raptors treated James Harden in uh in the uh, back in I think it was early December, just uh, basically a double team at half court. It was uh yeah. it was incredible and he still got forty two or whatever it was. So uh, yeah, just just for background, um, you know, the Nets uh, per synergy did throw uh, they they clocked 34 zone possessions in that game against Portland for for Brooklyn. Uh, they only threw it eight times at Boston. Basically, that game against Milwaukee, though, they played zone the entire game, according to, to synergy. So it's definitely something that they'll they'll tweak and they'll throw in. I think the big difference between the Raptors um, from those games where they've performed, and this is an issue with their sample size against the zone on the season, is like, a, first of all, a lot of it came from that Miami game when they were really shorthanded. And a lot of their zone sample on offense in general came without Marc Gasol. And Gasol is their most natural zone breaker. As Like like we saw them try Rondé Hollis Jefferson, Pascal Siakam, and OG Ananobi all as kind of the center in the zone at the nail um, to kind of make those passes out. And Ananobi actually looked pretty good in that spot. But Gasol is such a natural option there that I that I wonder if um, the cutting you can kind of do around Gasol as an elbow initiator neutralizes at least some of the effectiveness. But yeah, I, I think they throw throw that at them. Um, Alex, you mentioned Curix as uh, kind of one of the better defenders on the team. In our written breakdown, you suggested that he is likely to be um, the fourth starter. We, we know Levert, Harris, and Allen are, are kind of locked into those spots. Um, you pegged him as the fourth guy and the guy who gets the first shot at Pascal Siakam, um, you you talked a little about about his ability to force turnovers and, and um, his size at six foot nine. What do you like about that matchup for uh, Kurix and, and you know compared to some of the other things the Nets could throw at Siakam later in the series if that doesn't work? Yeah, I think that he's their most logical fit on the roster. 
both as you said in terms of size and and not giving anything up on that end and and then just what he's done in the bubble he's had a reasonable sample size against some some guys um i you know there's not really a guy in that's roster right now that i could go down and say you know he he's the one that's going to be the biggest problem for pascal siakam or, or he's the one that they have to worry about the most just because of the way it's constructed so i i think Rody has the best shot on paper and and just with the eye test to probably try and and contain him as best he can um so I, I think that they're going to try that, and then if they have to kind of give him the um, the Damian Lillard treatment, which feels weird to say because I feel like we're talking about Barry Bonds or something like that. But, um, <laughs> but you know, if they have to double him when he has the ball in his hands or find other ways to, to have, have an extra defender help onto him, I, uh, I definitely think they'll go that route. But you know, as we were kind of saying, I mean, you know, two of the Nets' best players and, and better defenders are um, – are Karis Levert, Joe Harris isn't bad either, and, and I mean Jared Allen. I don't, I don't know how much he could give you out on the perimeter. Um, and, and I think honestly, the backup plan would be to Rody, uh, former Raptors nine hundred five alumni, Justin Anderson, who oh, is, you know Blake has a bit excited. of a, Here we go. Yeah, I, 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 as I was, I was, as I was preparing to say that, I remember thinking Blake's probably smiling right now. But um, but you know he's got a, and, and you guys know him as well. So I mean he he's got a, you know more of a football build on him and. He gives up a little size around six seven, but I, I do think that he he's been a pretty good defender, and they have been a few possessions against Giannis against Milwaukee, and he held his own. And he's I, I think that he's the next option in terms of a one on one matchup that they'd go with before opting to to get more creative and and go double team or blitz or or some other way to try to slow him down. There are just way too many 905 wrinkles in this series that to the extent that like I'm going to get so annoying. Um, So like you mentioned Dante Hall earlier. Well, they plucked him from Detroit's development system when they needed a big. They didn't expect to maybe need a big to get Justin Anderson on Long Island. They had flipped Henry Ellenson to Raptors 905. Um, So, you know, maybe that would have been Ellenson's spot if he had performed better or stayed in the system. Uh, And then you have you know, maybe the standout Raptor from these last couple bubble games, Paul Watson, who, when Anderson left, took on this outsized role uh, and, and saw his role kind of expand as as the team's number one. Uh, so if, especially if this series ends up uncompetitive, which I don't think it will be. Um, I think it's it's going to be a, a pretty fun and competitive series. There are enough 905 wrinkles for to, to keep me occupied. I do like Anderson's defense. You know, I think I think obviously he's gotten as many chances as he has around the NBA and was, uh, you know, a believed in enough prospect. Um, And that speaks to his defensive value. He's also, you know, at 26, I mentioned this in our in our written breakdown, Alex. I think he's another obviously not the extent of Jamal Crawford, but to have a guy like that who's been in a lot of different situations like you know, been a, a first round draft pick that that's getting opportunity, been a guy who's on the fringes, been a guy in the G League trying to fight his way back. Um, and he's, you know, kind of a high character guy. I, I think that's a good presence to have around the Nets. Um, I think a lot of people really like Justin Anderson and, and he's, you know, a good quote and, and a funny guy and a good leader to have there. Um, you know, a lot more defensive value at this point in his development than offensive value. He can drive. He is a good transition player. Uh, but that three-point shot is still the thing keeping him from locking down an NBA role full-time. Obviously, he had that game in the bubble where he tied the NBA record by going 0 of 12 on threes in a game. Uh, the Raptors, if he's on the floor, will certainly dare him to get 12 up again, and Anderson will shoot them willingly. But uh, we haven't seen any sustained, really, 
um, plus plus shooting from from Anderson, and that's kind of you know the thing that's going to have to develop to keep him in the league. Uh, so fun fun for Anderson. Uh, I'm curious, Alex, too. Uh, just while we're on the the defensive end for Brooklyn, I'll, I'll throw two at you at once if that's okay. Um, where is Garrett Temple's defense at at this point? Like, will they trust him on? Kyle Lowry or Fred Van Vliet. Uh, I, I know, you know, he's kind of been a, a lower end three and D slash character guy uh, for a long time now. Um, can they trust him on a lead point guard for, for heavy minutes? And then do, I mean, I guess this is related to this because they're, they're going to be the starting backcourt. I think um, is Karis Levert a guy that maybe they try to hide on, OG Ananobi so that he's in fewer pick and rolls and can conserve energy for the offensive end? Or are they going to throw whatever Levert can handle at him because this series is more about developing for next year for Brooklyn? Yeah, it's a good question. I see. I like, I like Levert on Lowry a little more than Temple, but it wouldn't stun me if they go that direction. You know, I, I think that, I think Garrett's a good defender, not a great defender. Well, I think Karras is a good defender, but could be a great defender. Um, and I, I could see the point in in hiding Karis on on OG as to try to conserve energy, but but I also think that you know when we were talking about the defense earlier and, and the Raptors plan for the Nets, I, I think in general the Raptors are going to force it's going to be the role the Nets role players against the Raptors in terms of you know they're going to try to make Karis uncomfortable and can the TLCs and the Garrett Temples you know hit enough threes and and make enough shots to uh, make Toronto pay for that. So, you know, I, I already think that it's going to be hard enough for Karis LeVert to, to uh, do, you know, carry the offense in his usual way to begin with. So I don't know how much conserving of him will will change that necessarily, and especially because, I mean, you know, as we all know, Nick Nurse has, I, I want to say, 80 different defensive schemes. Um, I might be a little off on that. So, um, so I, I could see either one of them, honestly, on Larry, but... Um, but I don't know if, if putting Karras on OG to, to maybe try to conserve him is gonna is gonna get them so many places just because of of what I expect Toronto to, to try and do to him and and you know I think Garrett's been been capable at times I think he's been a little hot and cold is just the, the whole thing you know he's he's had games where he, he definitely kind of gets gets lost in screens and and kind of on the help defense even slacks off a little bit or just gets gets you know lost in a, in a few different things and I, I think he's reliable and I think that he could he could be better served maybe on OG than than on Lowry just because I think that Karras has the speed to, to keep up with Lowry a little bit better than than Garrett might Eric uh counter question for you. you are you I mean we saw even as the Raptors, the Raptors went seven and one, and it wasn't always uh, the most inspiring uh, up and down the roster play. But that starting five looked pretty locked in. Excellent defensive numbers, excellent defensive numbers for the Raptors as a whole, but especially the starting five. Uh, we've talked at times over the year about potential tweaks to that starting five or the closing five as series of matchups dictate. I- I'd imagine you're pretty comfortable with the set starting five uh, staying that way for this series? Absolutely. Um, I, I just don't think Brooklyn presents the types of problems that would necessitate uh, a change. Uh, I don't think you need to get bigger for any reason. Uh, and the two guards, I, I think, you know, whether they play well or not, this isn't the type of team to overwhelm them with size and, and to really limit their ability to get good uh good shots off and i think that would be the number one 
reason to make a change because defensively you you can certainly like there's no reason to think they can't hang with anybody uh you know i I think nick nurse has shown that when they're behind a a frequent move will be maybe inserting norm powell instead of og ananobi into the into the lineup but i i don't think they should start with that by any means i think uh og ananobi should be starting in almost every situation um just because he's the first line of defense in most cases. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm very comfortable with that. I'd be extremely surprised if at any point in this series it changed. Yep, that makes sense to me uh, as well. Um, so I get, I, I'm going to hit you guys with a, a couple quick hitters here uh, to close us off. So, Alex, uh, we're, we're going to go through three things. Uh, we're going to go through the biggest thing you're watching for from like a storyline or matchup perspective, who you think the X factor is for either team, um, and then finally our prediction. So we'll go through those one at a time. Alex, what is the, the biggest thing you're watching for here from the Nets perspective? Um, I, I got two, actually. I, I'm watching for, as, you kind of said, as we've kind of touched on, just can the Nets, assuming Toronto, which I have complete faith in their defense, takes care of out of his comfort zone, can the Nets reserves, you know, Tyler Johnson, TLC, Garrett Temple, um, or just the role players in general, keep up enough to make this an interesting series? You know, a uh, quick statistic, the Nets are the only team left in the NBA to have a lead in every game this season. And so I, I wonder, and I think we touched on that too in our, in our back and forth, uh, Blake, but... I just kind of wonder what, what can the can the role players keep this up and uh, and make an interesting series and then even um, how far again even if it's not a series win which I don't think any of us are expecting for Brooklyn but uh, how far can Jock Vaughn help his candidacy by seeing what he could do schematically and and results wise against the defending champions I mean he's already beaten the Clippers Milwaukee nearly beat uh, the Lakers back in March nearly beat the Blazers. I'd just be interested to kind of see if, if there's anything else he can. He's already helped his stock a lot da- uh, down in Orlando, but can he do anything else in this series? All right, Eric, what about you from the Raptors' perspective? What's the – I think I know your answer here, but what do you, what's the biggest thing you're looking it's for? It's Siakam, right? Like you yeah. want to see him – again, this isn't the toughest matchup for him just in terms of forecasting the options against him. I think it's absolutely the right call for Brooklyn – to, you know, with the, if you have to choose between size and speed, uh, not that you necessarily have to do with that with Kurex, but, uh, you know, you, you want the the size to, pre- to prevent him from operating out of the post, because that's where he's looked most comfortable uh, in the bubble restart. That's where he gets a lot of his easy stuff. Uh, and that's how he gets his sort of momentum going. Uh, the overwhelming number of, you know, when he's looked bad, a lot of it has been trying to put the ball on the floor. And, you know, there have been turnovers in those situations or just sort of awkward in-between shots that don't always look good. And if that continues against uh, maybe a lesser defensive team than even if the Raptors get by Brooklyn, you start to wonder what that might look like against Boston or Philadelphia, to be honest, but, but you know, probably Boston. Uh, beyond that, I think we touched on it a bit uh, in, in the stuff we've written in our podcast last week, uh, whether anybody beyond the top seven can 
actually get going and create some momentum. I, I mean, the top seven and Paul Watson, sorry, Blake, um, can can get going and lock themselves into, you know, a role. Like, it's great that Chris Boucher plays great when he plays 25 or 30 minutes a game. Can he do that in 10 minutes? Uh, if somebody can thrive within their individual role, that's likely to, that's even possible to exist in a playoff series. Uh, that would be interesting to me. All right, uh, we'll spin it to X Factors now. You can pick them from either team. It doesn't. Uh, you're free to pick whatever. Who am I to dictate your X Factor, Alex? Uh, who, who's the one player or, or the the one thing you think could really swing this series uh, in a way that we maybe haven't discussed yet? Um, I've I've thought about this a little bit. I'm gonna go with Jamal Crawford just because we don't we haven't really seen a lot of him, and and again, it's already been a Nets offense that's worked really well without him. We already kind of talked about their liabilities on defense, so if there's going to be anything that that needs a boost on that front, it's it's going to be the offense. So I'm picking him just because we haven't seen him and there is an expectation he'll come in at some point. Is there anything he can do to help out? And, and I also wonder a little bit about um, Jeremiah Martin, who's kind of been a, another low-key bubble breakout star for the Nets. Two-way player, a multi-year two-way deal. Um and he's also emerged as one of their better defenders and, and gave the Bucks a lot of problems and, and also was good in that Portland game and against the Clippers. And and he he's only 6'2". You know, obviously he's not going to be guarding Pascal Siakam, but I kind of wonder do we see him a little bit on Kyle Lowry. And he, he's got a, an interesting skill set as well, both as a playmaker and uh, and a scorer. So he's someone I wonder towards the end of the bench if, if he can make some noise. Yeah, a lot of guards here for for Brooklyn that they can throw out there. Kills a, a another one. So you know, I don't know if they'll go like super super small just because the Raptors are so big. But you could get, especially with some bench units, you can get some pretty interesting uh, four out looks. And, and obviously, even Dante Hall's a little small as a as a five. You might see some TLC at the four. Uh, the way things are looking there, Eric. What about you, man? Who who's the uh, who's your ex? Uh, first and for foremost, Stanley Johnson, obviously. Uh, yeah, if you can have a crunch time finisher like him, then uh, that changes the complexion of a lot of games. Um, um, I don't know if TLC qualifies as an X factor um, because, I mean, he's probably going to be playing 25 to 30 minutes, it seems like, for, for the Nets. But I don't know that we can say his performance from the bubble is necessarily, I mean, the, the seeding games is going to necessarily translate so if they do, that just gives the Nets such another defensive, uh, defensively versatile piece to throw against the Raptors. Um, and I think backup Serge Ibaka forever looms as an X factor in a series because you you can we've seen and we've talked about this a few times, Blake. Like he can go from like an absolute non-factor to a game changer in the reserve role, mostly like as a starter you more or less know what to expect from him. He might have a bad shooting night here or there, but he's certainly more comfortable in that role. But just the the different versions of Ibaka you can have coming off the bench, uh, the it just, they're, they're like polar opposites. So if you get a real interior presence and all of a sudden, you know, Jared Allen is called on to play you know, 38, 40 minutes, if that's even possible without him fouling out, like that goes a long way to the Raptors making this an easier series. Uh, And on the same, you know, on a lesser note, Chris Boucher uh, for 
similar reasons and just his game is very x-factory right sorry i'm gonna throw one more question in here than i anticipated alex uh just because eric brought up serge abaca abaca has had a (laughs) tendency to get heated at times uh including in the bubble where him and uh him and nurkic almost almost got it going who is the like (laughs) who is the likeliest net to get into like a pull-apart situation with serge abaca in this series you know it's funny i was gonna bring up serge abaca for a different reason uh if we had time, but um, I'm gonna give you two. I don't know if you guys saw Dante Hall having giving uh, degaffing as uh, as my generation would say, and throwing Giannis <laughs> to the ground in that Milwaukee game. But uh, I would. What do, you, what do you mean, your generation? How old do you think we are? Well, I, I know I'm just younger than you guys, so I didn't want to speak for your okay. for your generation in case you guys treat yourselves. I don't in, know in a what that place. is for the record. Oh, it, I don't give a f. Uh, okay, yes, thank you, boy. Must have been something that only people born in 1986 and after uh, understand. Yeah. Um. So uh, and then Rodion's Curix is a uh, professional agitator. He. Uh, I don't remember the the game against the Nets last season for the Raptors, but but Rodion's got Kawhi upset that Kawhi gave him a shove or, or something like that. I got to go back and find it. And uh, there's been a couple of guys that have gotten, and I think Kawhi got bothered by him again this year in the Clippers game. There's been a couple guys that had problems with Rodion. So I think that those two would be the, uh, the biggest two to provoke Surge. But I don't know if either would do that because Nets fans are convinced that Serge Ibaka is coming there. Some of them are because he's friends with KD. <laughs> I think he's way too expensive for them. And yeah, come and, on, you are you already got DeAndre Jordan and Jared well, Allen. Exactly, he, he'd be an upgrade defensively over DeAndre Jordan. But um, but I uh, I, I don't think there's a snowball's chance in hell that that happens. And um, but but what do I know? I love. Yeah. Uh, well, hey, maybe Jared Allen will, will pick something then, just to just to, because he's looking over his shoulder at Serge Ibaka. I love Kurex for the Eastern European energy that uh, friend of the podcast uh, Steve Sledkowski will be conflicted <laughs> over. Yeah. Also, Eric, I, uh, I am a little disappointed given how big of a French heritage Canada has that you have kind of balked at trying to pronounce Timothy Luau Cabarro's name this entire podcast. It's it's the Luau that worries me. To be honest, it's uh, it's not the Timote or Cabarro. Um, so if if it were just Timote Cabarro, then I would feel like that's that sounds pretty good, right? But uh, yeah, it's just it's a lot of syllables, and uh, and why put yourself through that? I will say this, Alex. This is something that doesn't affect uh, you guys as much because uh, I'd imagine in the U.S. you you get the national broadcast, and I believe Ian's doing a lot of bubble stuff anyway. Um, here in Toronto, one of our color commentators is Jack Armstrong, who's a Brooklyn native with a thick Brooklyn accent. He is going to have a series with some of the names on the Nets rosters. Uh, TSN has games two, four, and six of this series and it's going to be uh it's going to be a big Jack Armstrong series I think with, with names like TLC and Chioza and and Curix. it's a thick Brooklyn accent so so I I would recommend Alex if you have to fire up league pass at any point to to get some clips or watch games back you you flip it over to the Toronto broadcast for games 2 4 and 6 yeah i uh, uh speaking of I, sorry go no, ahead no i was going to say i need to get my hands on that one one um series related question that uh, off the court uh, someone brought this up to me. Do, do you guys think Chris Chioza and Fred Van Vliet look like cousins? You know, they both got the goatee, similar size, um, both point guards. Some, someone brought it up to me, and I, I can't get it out of my head now. I was trying to look for a natural segue for that, but uh, but just a thought. That, I could. Yeah, s- I, I, I was kind of fifty-fifty on it. it. 
Yeah, they have their their beards are very similar. Like they have the same kind of jawline and beard line. Um, and then I imagine Chios's hair is what Van Vliet's would look like if he if he would grow it out. I don't think like facially yeah. they look that much alike, but the facial hair is really similar. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah, uh, I thought they're... it was a stretch to say they were cousins, but they like they go to the same. They they draw their their uh, beard looks from the same source, whatever it might be. Yeah, they're definitely using the same barber in the bubble for sure. Yeah, yeah, there's some similarities there. Um, maybe you know, second, third cousins. Yeah. Uh, all right. Uh, I mentioned TSN having game six. Uh, the final question here, guys, is will we get there? Alex, what's your prediction for the series? <sighs> I, I I think the Nets are playing too well to get swept. Although I also think that, that that's a possibility just because of, of how good the Raptors have looked in the seeding games and, and the, the issues they pose. I, I'm going to give the Nets one playoff win and, and they, that, that it doesn't get past five games. I, I think in the world of moral victories, if we are covering a game six and talking about it um, – that is extremely impressive for the Nets, given everything from what they've gone through from March to, to now. But I I think this game does not go more than five games. This series does not go more than five games. Excuse me. What about you, Eric? Like, I think just because of the high variance nature of, of the Nets at times, they could push it past five. But it's just given the talent gap and given how new this Nets team still is, uh, it's more of a loose collective of individuals than, you know, what we would call a team. Uh, like a glorified I, summer league team. Yeah, I gotta go Raptors in five, too. Uh, the Nets, be prepared, Alex. The Nets will win game one. But uh, <laughs> but then uh, the Raptors take care of business. Yeah, I'm with you guys on Raptors in five. I think, you know, a team that's getting up 40-plus three-pointers a game in the bubble against a team that allows an historic number of corner threes, even if you don't have elite shooting talent around a guy like Karis LeVert and Jared Allen, um, you are going to shoot your way into some games and, and, you know, maybe they shoot 30% for the whole series. Maybe they shoot 40% for the whole series and we, we get more of a series. But yeah, I think, I think five's the safe bet here. Um, guys, I think that's, uh, I mean, we're coming up on an hour, so that's, that's all we're going to cover anyway, but I think that's a, uh, that's a good roundup. Uh, as a reminder, guys, Lots of preview content at the Athletic Toronto and the Athletic New York City over the next little bit um, to supplement this podcast. If you're not a subscriber yet, you can get 40% off a subscription at theathletic.com slash we the six, or you can click any of our recent articles for a free seven day trial. Uh, make sure you're following Alex for series updates and his analysis as well at Alex underscore Schiffer. We'll tag him in the tweets for this podcast so that uh, you can find the handle there as well. And I'm, of course, at Blake Murphy ODC, Eric's at E Kareen, and we will be back. Probably just Eric and I, unless this ends up being uh, a much more competitive series that, than we anticipate. Probably after game two, uh, we'll see how the, the flow of the series and the, the narrative of the series dictates for future episodes. But we'll talk to you guys in a couple days. Alex, thank you so much for coming on, man. This was great. Yeah, always a pleasure, guys. I hope to see you soon, whenever that may be and whenever <laughs> we get our act together down here. Yeah, much different Raptors Net series next year, I'd imagine. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Eric, thank you, man. You have uh, you have a nice little Saturday. Thanks, you too, Blake. See you. <laughs> <laughs>